We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. So when I was 10 years old, I decided I really, really wanted to be an astronaut. And for a while, space was my obsession. Um, so I borrowed books about space from my school library. Um, I watched a film from the 80s called Space Camp USA on repeat. Um, and I even wrote my own book about space, which I'm sure I still have, but I couldn't find it when I was prepping this talk. Okay. So sadly, in the end, I didn't get to be an astronaut, but lots of people have, have done. And in 1968, an astronaut called William Anders took this photograph and sent it back to Earth. And that photo was instantly famous because it was the first time that humans had been able to see our whole, our whole home, our whole planet, from beyond our planet in a colour photograph. And that image is now known as Earthrise. Okay. So I wasn't born in 1968, so I find it really hard to imagine a time when we didn't have this sort of image. So the books that I borrowed from my school library were full of this sort of picture. Okay. So without wanting to out anyone's age, I'm guessing that some people in the room probably can remember a time before we had this picture. Um, so my, my dad was a teenager when this was taken, and he's told me how exciting it was back then to sit and watch the, the rocket launches on television. Okay. And today, 50 years later, Earthrise is credited with fueling a rise in environmental awareness around the world. So seeing our whole planet um, for the first time, help make people aware that it has finite resources and that what we do in one part of the world has an impact in other parts. Okay, that really it's something we need to cherish and look after if we want it to keep sustaining us. Um, Friends of the Earth was founded in 1969, just one year after this photo was taken. And Greenpeace was founded in 1971, so it had quite an impact. But really, we've always had a mandate to care for creation. Um, so long before we built spaceships and blasted off into space, God called on humans in Genesis chapter 1 to care for a garden. Um, and those people whose lives are documented in the Bible knew nothing of even North America or Australia, let alone like what the whole planet looked like. But God still called them over and over throughout the Bible um, to care for the world that he had placed them in. So since then, we've gradually expanded our horizons, haven't we? We've, we've traveled over land, we've built boats and sailed across the oceans, um, we've mapped out the continents, and we now know what it all looks like. But throughout history, whether what we can see extends as far as our own back garden or as far as the whole earth in one photograph, we have a mandate to live in harmony with it. So our current teaching series is called One Another. And in Romans 12, and this is our next slide, we're, we're called to live in harmony with one another. And then a little earlier on in that passage, in verse 10, we're asked to be devoted to one another um, in love and to honor one another above ourselves. So Paul, of course, is talking about people being devoted to each other. Um, but the only way in which we can properly live in harmony with one another is if we're also living in harmony with the earth, which sustains the whole of humanity and other species. So living in harmony with one another doesn't just mean that there's an absence of conflict amongst us. It means that we're proactively ensuring that the way in which we live well 
doesn't prevent other people from also living well. So you might have heard the expression, live simply so that others might simply live. Okay. And of course, there are lots of ways in which we live disharmon disharmoniously with each other and with creation. And I've not got time to talk about all of them this morning. We could be here for a long time. Um, but as it's our autumn festival, I thought we could think about this through the lens of food. Um, so a few food facts. According to the UN, globally, we produce enough food to feed the whole population one and a half times over. But in 2020, it's thought that about 811 million people around the world faced hunger. So we've got something's going wrong there. We've, we've got the food, but it's not getting to people. Um, bringing it down to the level of the UK, we're the fifth richest nation in the world, yet in the year 2020 to 2021, two and a half million people used a food bank. And that figure was up 600,000 on the, the year before. But at the same time, as Ruth mentioned, we waste, wasted 6.6 .6 million tonnes of food in the UK each year. So some of us are wasting food, some of us don't have enough food. So again, something's not right there. And there are, there are lots of different reasons why we have this disparity and why we have this program, um, problem, both locally and globally. But some of them are related to how we treat our planet. So I'm sure that most of us are aware that, that human actions over the last 170 years have caused climate change. So since the start of the Industrial Revolution, we've been burning fossil fuels such as coal, gas and oil in large quantities. And as a result, the planet's gotten warmer. So one consequence of this is that the seasons are shifting in lots of parts of the world. So rainy seasons and dry seasons are becoming much less predictable, and that's making it harder to grow crops in some parts of the world, and it's threatening food security. Here, it's, it means food gets a bit more expensive, but in some parts of the world, it means that people don't eat. Um, so on the left-hand side here, you've got um, some locusts. So in early 2020, East Africa suffered an unusually early rainy season, and that led to a locust invasion. So they swarmed, and as they did so, they destroyed crops, trees, and pastures, which threatened food security in that part of the world. And it was their worst outbreak in 25 years. Um, and Christian Aid believed that, that climate change and extreme weather events were relevant factors behind the outbreak. So climate change makes extreme weather events more likely to happen with more frequency and to be more extreme when they do. Okay. Um, since the start of the Industrial Revolution, the oceans have been absorbing a lot of the extra heat that's, that's been created, and they've absorbed more than 80% of it so far. But as they've done so, they've become more acidic and less productive. And when you add that into overfishing, that means that um, we're threatening the marine resources that feed 3.2 billion people. Um, we're also affecting the ability of other species to eat. So I've got here a picture of a puffin um, in the UK. So we, we have puffins in the UK and they eat sand eels. So you might be able to see that puffin's got some sand eels in its mouth. Okay. But as the sea around the UK is getting warmer due to climate change, the sand eels are migrating northwards. Um, the puffins don't always realise that in time. And as a result, the UK's puffin population is crashing so that, that's just a little snapshot of a few things that are going on. 
And I think it's fair to say that ensuring everyone has enough to eat is a pretty basic part of living in harmony with one another. Um, in a world where we're producing 50% more food than we need, if we're not all adequately fed, then we've definitely not cracked living in harmony with one another. But our desire to consume more and more stuff, which requires more and more energy, which requires the burning of fossil fuels, means that others are struggling to grow food and to eat. Um, so what should our response as Christians be? <clears throat> so in a few minutes, we're going to take a little bit of time to think about some of the ways in which we as individuals could live more lightly on the earth. Um, so some of the things you've already heard about and a few other things. And as we do that, I'd like us just to consider two things. Wait, thank you. Um, the first is that we can all do something. Um, I think from what we've heard from Sarah and Ali and Ruth, you know, there's lots that we can do. But also we can't do everything ourselves. So that might sound contradictory, but um, just bear with me. Okay. So um, the environmental issues that we face, especially climate change, um, can often feel overwhelming. And it's really easy to, to despair and think, I'm just, I'm just one person, I'm just one child, I'm one adult, I'm one young person, what, what can I do? But there are things that we can all do in our everyday lives. And we are all called by God to partner with him in looking after creation. So the actions on the next slide are things that you might do as an individual. Um, so I'll just, some of them are self-explanatory, but I'll explain the ones that aren't. So you might want to make a poster based on one of these Bible verses. It might be the picture that you've been drawing right now, some of you, and that could be something that you stick on your fridge at home to remind you that you want to care for creation. You could find out what your carbon footprint is, so we can't really cut our impact on the earth if we don't know what, what that impact is. Um, you could start to monitor your energy use at home and see what, what difference it makes when you know what you're using. Um, meat and dairy are quite a big part of our food emissions in the UK, so you could look to cut down on that. Um, you could consider cycling to church instead of driving. We've got some great cycle racks outside, which were completely full last week, which was great. Um, you could think about giving up fast fashion, as Ali talked about, so Ruth talked about, so there's a few ideas there. Or I've got a couple of copies of this really good book that was published by um, Ruth Valerio and Paul Carenza just a few months ago. So it's got some really good ideas for children, but also for whole families um, of different ways in which you might tackle the climate crisis. So you're welcome to come and grab these from me and have a flick through them. And then if we flip to the next slide, thank you. Great. So it's also worth saying at the same time that tackling environmental problems such as climate change is, is going to require systemic change. So it can't all be done by us as individuals. And what, what that means is we need governments and organizations and communities to do things that we can't do by ourselves. Um, so all of the suggestions on this slide relate to that. So in just a few weeks' time, lots of world leaders are going to be meeting in Glasgow for a conference called COP26. So th this happens every year, but it's the first time it's ever happened in the UK. So this is the UK government's chance to show leadership on this issue. So if you'd like to, you could write a letter to our local MP, Jane Hunt. And I've got here some guidelines from Tearfund on what you might want to say in a letter. Um, so you're welcome to take those. If you write it now, I've got an envelope. I can collect them all and hand deliver them to her. But you, you can also email her. Her email address is on this.
Um, you might want to draw her a picture of creation or write her just one or two sentences to let her know that you want our government to care for creation. Um, and then since the middle of May, every Friday morning, a group of people have been gathering outside Jane's office for a, a vigil. So some of you might have driven past it or heard about it or seen it on Facebook. Um, so it was originally a group of Christians from about five different churches in Loughborough. It now involves a lot of other people as well. It's, it's grown. Um, so you're really welcome to join us. We're there every Friday from 8 to 9.30. Some people come for the first half hour, then go to work. Some people go come for the last half hour because they don't want to get up that early. Um, so it's quite flexible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and some on some of those weeks, maybe about half of those weeks, Jane comes out and we have a conversation with her. Um, and she's, yeah we've been engaging with her and learning from each other so that's been really good um i'm part of a community group in loughborough called transition loughborough and we have been running something called carbon literacy courses which are seven hours worth of learning about the climate crisis we're running our final course in november and jane hunt has agreed to come on it um so if you'd like to come on a course with her, or, or just because you'd like to learn more about the climate crisis, um, then you're welcome to join us on that. I've got more details here. And then in November, um, Ali is organizing a film night, and hopefully it will be the first of a number of eco-themed film nights, and they're going to be held here. Um, so we will put that information out on the notices. Um, yeah. So, and then just before we have a few minutes to consider what our own response might be, be, the final slide talks a bit about what our response is as Open Heaven. Um, so um, Ness mentioned a couple of weeks ago at our Vision um, Sunday that we are currently walking, working towards Eco Church Bronze Award. So Eco Church is a nationally recognized award which is organized by a charity called Arosha. And at the minute, there are about 300 churches from lots of different denominations and church streams that are registered with EcoChurch. So we're currently working through a series of practical steps around our building, our land, our worship and teaching, our community and global engagement, and also the lifestyles of our community. And practically, most of that work has been done by Izzy Lowings. I'm not sure she's here today, but, but she's making most of that happen. Okay. And... Also, as Sarah mentioned earlier this year, we formed an Open Heaven Eco team who've been meeting to, to help advise the, the senior leadership team on what we do on this. So that consists of Jez, Gowers Crummy, Laura Zachariah, Ali and Ruth Led, and myself. So if you've got any ideas, come and let us know. That would be good to hear.